12,000 fans here at Bramlage Coliseum spilling out onto the court. A huge celebration as Kansas State, for the first time since 1983, has knocked off the Kansas Jayhawks in Manhattan. Bring on the podcast. Here's your host, A. Hernali. Hello and welcome to another edition of Bring on the Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. Eric Rubottom is here with us. Eric, how are you? I'm doing well, Wildcat Nation. How are you guys? Doing very well. Yeah, Kansas State, the streak ended last night. And... So we're we're looking at the obviously this Saturday a chance to clinch the Big Twelve title, but beyond that, looking at the NCAA tournaments, we brought on SB Nation's resident bracketologist Chris Dobertine. Chris, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you guys? Doing pretty well. It's a little bit cold out here, but I'm sure you've got that in Chicago too. So. Uh, yeah, I, I had to remember to put the heat back on because earlier today they had come to do some work on the, the piping for the heat in the building. Uh-huh. So I had to turn it off. So I was sitting here just, you know, during the Florida game thinking, I really need to turn the heat back on this. It's not comfortable <laughs> in here right now. And yeah. it's March 6th, and I'm like, can we, you know, can we warm up a little bit, please? It's about 20 degrees below normal right now, and <laughs> I want to get out of that. Get into the 40s at least, please. Yeah, yeah. Well, we got some more snow today, and I was telling Eric that um, out here in central Washington, we broke the snowfall record for February by about 10 inches. So been kind of oh. crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here in Colorado, we've been having a pretty good snow year up in the mountains, but actually down the Front Range, Fort Collins, Denver area, it's been it's been a pretty dry winter. We had some snow come in over the weekend and some really really frigid temperatures below zero for the weekend, but yeah. uh, looking like it's going to start warming up again. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully it'll get warm enough that that it's decent weather in Minneapolis by the time the Final Four comes around, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll see you right now. I mean. Chris, you've got Kansas State, uh, I guess, in the, your bracket yesterday you had them as a four, you dropped them down to a five, but I, I think most of the season, really, you've had K-State a seed or two higher than most people. You know, why do you think that is? What do you like about K-State that maybe other people don't? Well, I think, obviously, you know, the fact that they're potentially going to, you know, win, you know, definitely a share of the Big 12 title, if not the Big 12 title outright. You know, I think really that's a big point in their favor. And, and it's really weird because the four and the five line right now, there are a lot of teams that just are very, very close to one another. I, I think a lot of other bracketologists are kind of discounting Kansas State's non-conference performance more than anything else, especially that loss to Tulsa, which kind of sticks out, and the loss to Texas A&M, of course, for the, for the, Big 12, or the SEC Big 12 Challenge. And I think those are two things that are kind of really, you know, marking them down in some places. But I just think the overall excellence – in the conference and a conference that's going to probably send eight teams to the tournament. I think you have to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt just based on that. And also the other side of it is I think the net is probably hurting too. The net's kind of at 27 right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably a little low for a four seed, but I think that there's room to grow, especially, you know, with big 12 tournament coming up. Yeah. And another thing, you know, we talk about the, the loss without Dean Wade. I think that the Texas one really sticks out, losing by 20 at home. 
Yeah. Uh, you'd like to think that wouldn't have happened without being weighed. How much do you think that gets factored in? Yeah, that's the other side of it. I think that, you know, if the committee takes that responsibility seriously, of you know, t- keeping in mind who was playing and who was healthy at that time, I think you kind of have to keep an eye on those, on how the team is playing with Dean Wade in the lineup, and I think that gives them a definite boost. Yeah. And then, I mean, to me, one of the most impressive parts of Kansas State's resume is they're the first non-Kansas team since 1999 to get seven Big 12 road wins. Yeah. Uh, so how, how much does that help them? I think that helps because, again, the committee loves it when teams are able to win games on the road. They're 7-5 away from home, which doesn't sound that great, you know, on the surface. But, you know, really, when you think about it, it's really hard to win that many road games during a season when you're a power conference team. Mm-hmm. And so I guess looking forward, you know, I'd like to think K-State can take care of business against Oklahoma, although, you know, in fairness, they looked pretty good last night. But yeah. if we assume a win there on senior night, what does K-State need to do in Kansas City to assure itself of a four seed or better? I think they probably at least need to make the final. I think that would be the easiest way to kind of get things, you know, set for a top four seed. Because I'm kind of looking at the group right now, and the teams that are ahead of them on the four line at the moment are Texas Tech, which obviously that's a situation that will take care of itself if they potentially meet the Big 12 final. Virginia Tech and Florida State, I don't think both those teams are going to be hanging around. And Marquette was the team that was kind of keeping Kansas State down. Florida State was the team that jumped them yesterday. Marquette ended up sliding down. And Marquette might slide down again a little bit because they lost to Seton Hall tonight. So... You know, it's probably going to end up taking care of itself, I think, for the Wildcats, but they should really try to at least get to the final in Kansas City, to be sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So is there anything that K-State can do to actually get past a four seed at this point and find their way clear up into a three? Uh, I think so. I think they can probably get there if they actually win the Big 12 because Kansas is still there on the three line, and I don't think they're going to last there if they don't win the Big 12 tournament outright. I think that's going to be a problem. I got an email from a Texas Tech fan today saying why I had them so low as a four and that's kind of going back to the committee's thinking back when it did its sneak preview a few weeks ago and when Texas Tech and Virginia Tech were the two top 16 teams in the net that weren't seated on the top four lines because of the lack of non-conference wins you know quality wins you know really kind of kept them down and I think that's really kind of holding Texas Tech down so I think that if Kansas State can really take care of those two in particular and if Purdue struggles anymore in the Big Ten, if they don't make the Big Ten final, I don't think they're going to be on the three line. I think they have a pretty good shot maybe of even getting up to that three line if they win the Big 12 tournament. Yeah. Speaking of the Big 12 tournament, Eric, I'm just curious, you know, looking at the standings, if Baylor, assuming they beat Oklahoma State tonight, and they're, they're up by a little bit right now, but so then if Baylor were to beat Kansas, that would drop KU to the four seed and, and maybe you get a semifinal against Kansas State. Would you rather see that or, or do you want to keep KU on the other side of the bracket? You know, just because of the head games part of it, to be honest with you, I'd rather see KU on the other side of the bracket. There's just something about seeing the Kansas Jayhawks lining up against us that even considering where KU is at right now from a roster perspective, the only other team that I would really be nervous about right now is Texas Tech. Um, But anytime KU shows up on the other side of the court, man, there's head games going on there. Yeah, And, and Kansas State's really had Baylor's number over the last couple of years, so... Sure, sure. That'd be nice. But yeah, and the other thing is, you know, it's not Allen Fieldhouse, but Kansas City is definitely a home court advantage for KU. You know, they're going to show up for that one. That'll be tough. But okay, so then Chris, you know, on the on the flip side, worst case scenario, K State, you know, loses to you and or loses to 
you know, TCU or West Virginia even in the, in the quarterfinals, then how far could they potentially drop at this point? I think probably around a six, kind of looking at the teams that are in that neighborhood, because right there you have Nevada, and you really kind of don't know what's going to happen with them. That was a team that really I felt was a little overseeded by the committee, as, you know, as a four seed, considering they really had no quality wins at that point. They didn't have any quad one wins. They finally got one when Utah State, you know, moved up there in the in the net. So not really sure what's going to happen with them. Iowa State has been stumbling badly. Cincinnati's <laughs> another kind of team that's kind of hard to see. Mississippi State's another team that's kind of hard to see. I don't really see Kansas State really falling behind any of those those teams at all. I think that probably a six is the four for them at this point. Yeah, okay. That wouldn't be so bad. And then, I guess, I mean, I've seen some speculation that in terms of location, dropping to a five or a six could actually give K-State a better chance to go into to Tulsa or Des Moines. Can you explain how that works? That's yeah, accurate. because remember when you're when you're lining up teams from the top sixteen, you know they're getting those eight pods first come first served. So by the time you're on the four line this year, you're probably going to be set with the two for San Jose, which because there's you know Gonzaga and they're closer to Salt Lake City, so there's not really any other West Coast team that's there. So they're kind of a leftover group. And mm-hmm. oddly enough, since we don't have really any good high quality top sixteen level Northeastern teams, Hartford is kind of there too. So those are your two, you know, your two options as a four seed. If you go down the list, though, the committee has gotten rid of that notion of keeping teams, lower seeded teams, away from home that they used to do for many, many years. They really stick to that rule that they have in the selection guidelines, the seeding guidelines, that you know the protected seeds you're only protected for the first round, and it's only those top sixteen teams, it's only those top four seed lines that are protected, and it's just for that one game. So they have lately been really bad from the old perspective and good from the new perspective and trying to keep teams, you know, that are on the five, six and seven lines in particular, try to keep them home. We even saw that, you know, with South Carolina as, you know, in the eight, nine area kind of getting there a couple of years ago to, you know, when they knocked off Duke. So it's very possible for a team, I think like Kansas state to probably get sent, you know, as a five seed right now, that would kind of be, you know, I have, well, I have them going to San Jose because they were a five seed and that was what was available. But as a six seed, you know, your options are potentially Tulsa against Houston or Tulsa against LSU, which, you know, either one of those I think would be a pretty good, pretty good draw for Kansas State. Yeah. Although, I mean, honestly, Eric, uh, you know, especially maybe compared to Kansas State teams of, of years past, I would be less concerned about playing closer to home just because of how experienced this team is and, and how good they've been on the road. Certainly. I mean, you know, like we mentioned earlier, seven wins on the road in the Big 12 Conference alone uh, shows that the team can go beat good teams on the road. So uh, I wouldn't necessarily be too concerned about going on the road and playing uh, and playing games away from Kansas. Mm-hmm. And so, Chris, you know, you mentioned the potential 11 seed matchups. Are there any, you know, scary 12 to 13 seeds? Personally, that one that really kind of scares me a little bit is Murray State, and I know they're not by any means a lock to get in, but you know, they win the OVC, a team with a lottery pick guy like John Morant is always kind of terrifying. Well, you have a lot of teams there that are just right now just kind of unpredictable. I mean, you have NC State as potentially a play-in type team. You know, that's one of those teams you, that could be really, really great on one night and really bad on another. Seton Hall, Miles Powell, I mean, the way that they just kind of, that he just took over the game against Marquette tonight, that's one one team I really want wouldn't want to have to play. 
you know, as a five seed, you know, Indiana, you know, that's another possibility. And then you kind of look down at the 14s and, you know, Old Dominion lost tonight, but that's another squad. You know, they won at Syracuse. They beat BCU. That's a team that's not going to be too, you know, scared of anybody. And Justin Wright Foreman at Hofstra. So that would be another potentially interesting kind of one-man kind of team matchup to really kind of be wary of as a, as a four-seed potentially. Mm-hmm. Anybody stick out to you, Eric? The one that really jumped out at me was uh, the, the NC State in a 12 seed, uh, that was certainly sticking out with me. And, and, and honestly, Indiana, even though their, their record right now is 15 and 14, which doesn't really sound great, they've shown that they can play with people. And if they show up, they've shown they can win games. So th- there's a reason their name's on the list there. And that would be another one that it, it's not that I would wor- be worried about it every night that we would play against someone like that. But, it, you know, the way the NCAA tournament works and it's a one game uh, against mm-hmm. uh, it's one game against one team. You always, you're, you're playing that game of Russian roulette, and if they show up, they show up. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris, I guess you know the other hypothetical we have to ask about Kansas State, even though it's a little painful, is you know where would this team be if, if they hadn't had the duds against A&M and Tulsa? Yeah, you kind of think about it. This would be a team that would kind of be in that three-seed range as, at a minimum. I think they would probably be have replaced Kansas on that three-line at this point. Mm-hmm. So let's dive into that one real quick, since we brought up (laughs) Kansas being on the three seed line right now and where K-State would be had we not lost those couple of games on the on the road to Tulsa and to uh, Texas A&M. At least from my my perspective, I feel like KU's seeding right now and as high as it is, is actually predicated on them having a good non-conference showing with players that are flat out not available right now. Yeah. Uh, and my, I guess my question is, is you know, we, we, we take a look at all these metrics and everything like that, that that incorporate those kind of things. But how often are is the committee going to be willing to sit there and say, we understand what all those metrics say, but that's not the team that they're going to put on the floor right now? This is the real question I have this year, especially with the Nets, since we don't really have, we have kind of that just that glimpse from the sneak preview a few weeks ago of kind of how they're treating it, but we don't really know how far they're going to go, especially at the end of the season when you talk about kind of roster issues like Kansas has. Because one thing that they've been preaching lately, and this is one of the reasons why Indiana is kind of very much in the picture at this point, is they want to treat all games equally no matter when they happen in the season. So, you know, Indiana, even though they're, you know, 3-12 and 12 in their last 15 games, you know, they're still very much in it because of a lot of work that they did early in the season. You know, is the committee going to, you know, take that same approach when it comes to Kansas, but are they going to add that aspect of, hey, you know, Kansas, you know, basically is a walking mass shooter right now and is not anywhere near as good as they were in November and December. That's the one thing that I'm really kind of curious about to see what happens. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's a good thing we're not using RPI anymore, right? Because KU was number one recently as yep, a week or two ago. it's staring at me right now <laughs> as I look at the Warren Nolan selection sheet where he has the RPI at the top, which – Obviously happens because the net doesn't update. The net for today didn't update until the middle of the games that were in the, the 7 p.m. Eastern window tonight. That's when the net came out. <laughs> and the other day it came out, you know, at 8 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, that's so. Strange. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a challenge this year. 
So let's uh, let's talk about the net real quick for a second, because, you know, obviously it's a new metric this year that's being used and it's being talked about quite a bit. And I think that there's a general consensus that it's obviously better than than some of the metrics that were being used in the past. You know, we just mentioned the RPI just being completely uh, off kilter with reality (laughs) at the end of the day. But what, in your opinion, should be improved when it comes to that net metric? One thing that really jumps out at me, and this is something that Warren had posted on Twitter a few weeks ago, and I went and looked at it a little bit more, and I'm like, wow, this, this is really true, is, yeah, they're capping the margin victory at 10, but they aren't capping the offensive and defensive efficiency metrics. And one team that he pointed out, kind of being the example of this, was North Carolina State, as we were talking about them earlier. Their net right now is 31. But you look at their profile, and they're like, they're 29, they're 7-8 and eight against quad one and quad two combined. You know, they've got two quad one wins. They've got a bad loss at Wake Forest. Why is their net so high? It shouldn't be this great. And he was saying was what happened is they scheduled a whole bunch of home games against cupcakes, you know, outside of the outside of the net top 250 and ran up the score on every one of those teams, got those offensive and defensive metrics up, you know, that weren't capped. And that really just kind of, you know, served as kind of the catalyst for the entire rest of the season for the Wolfpack's rating. So they're going to have to really kind of look at that a little bit. And the other side of it is, you know, you think about the Big Ten. The Big Ten as a conference to me is the, is the one that really, you know, should give everybody pause and, you know, give the committee some time to kind of look at this over the offseason. Because right now you look at the Big Ten standings and every single team is in the net top 100, including teams that are well under 500, like Illinois, and, oh, hmm. you know, Rutgers one game under 500. Penn State is 49th at 13 and 17. <laughs> Nebraska's now 14 and 15 in their 53rd. Northwestern's five games under 500, and they're 95th. <laughs> and I know that, you know, in the case of Penn State, for example, a big reason why their net's so high is because they played a lot of close games and lost a lot of close games. So their efficiency numbers have been relatively decent. You know, you go look at Kempom, it's the same way for Penn State and Nebraska in particular. But that's something that I think they really kind of got to tweak, you know, the value of wins so that you're not having teams that are necessarily, you know, four or five games under 500, you know, being that highly ranked. It's happened with Kempom on occasion. Florida, a couple years ago, the last time they missed the tournament and missed the NIT, they were under 500. And they were still, you know, in the top 50 on Kempom. But that's that's a very, very rare thing for that metric. And it seems to be happening a little bit more in, in terms of the net. Yeah. Do you think that the committee knows that and is going to read a little bit more into that? Or are they being instructed at this point to essentially just take the number at face value? Again, another thing I'm going to be very interested to see what they do. I don't think I can really give a good answer on that yet. Okay. And, I mean, to relate, to relate that to Kansas State, you know, I think that's going to hurt them and probably justifiably so when they scored in the 50s and barely beat George Mason and Southern Miss, like, they should have done better. But also, you had the game where, you know, K-State was up, what, 35 against Oklahoma State. Bruce puts in the scrubs with eight minutes left. It ends up being an 18-point game. Like, does K-State get penalized because their efficiency went way down that last eight minutes? Yeah. And that's something that we've seen people talk about this a little bit when, you know, we had Tony Bennett half at half when Virginia played Florida State, where there were some substitution issues later on. You know, where Florida State had decided that they wanted to actually try to make the game a little bit closer, and you know, Tony Bennett decided not to. 
you know, not to change his personnel as a response. We've had this happen a few times, and I think that's something that's going to have to be addressed in the offseason. Yeah, yeah. It's tough, though, because, I mean, you know, how do you find the perfect solution? It's, exactly. There's no easy well, answer. Yeah, it's some, you know, it's something that we talk about quite frequently, uh, either it's a, whether it's on the podcast or offline, honestly, is uh, when we start talking about this kind of stuff, we talk about it every year, is that like, if you're just looking at metrics and you're just looking at numbers, you don't have the story. Yeah. You have the results. I, and, I, and I really think that there's still a lot to be said to knowing the story of how those numbers got there as opposed to just knowing what the numbers are. Yeah. And, and there was something very instructive in that sneak peek that I think makes me think that there might be doing a little better job of it. This year, this is a reason why I have Kansas State a little bit higher than, than other bracketologists. In fact, you kind of think about where Gonzaga and where Nevada were, and that, to me, really spoke of the committee maybe – paying a little bit more attention to kind of what's going on on the court and what's going on, you know, in terms of the eye test, which, you know, a lot of people, know, oh, metrics, forget about the eye test. The eye test is, you know, the eye, you have to be able to actually play good basketball to get in the tournament win games. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, you kind of look at what Gonzaga's results were and what Nevada's results were relative to kind of their seeding. And that, you know, that's a pretty logical explanation for why they ended up as seated as high as they did a few weeks ago. Well, and you know, to, to Eric's point, you got to pay more attention to just the numbers. It, it would really help, I think, if you could get people who can be could be more focused on, on watching games rather than, you know, having the athletic directors or whoever be on the committee and then they're, they're thrown together for a weekend. And, you know, they've been paying some attention all season, but they really can't. They don't have enough time to, to play close enough attention to evaluate that properly so exactly they're running you know basically multi-million dollar businesses <laughs> right. and this is kind of their hobby it, it, it really is kind of a nonsensical way to you know put together a championship tournament mm-hmm. i mean yeah, you... I, for for me it's I, i'm almost drawing the analog of we're sitting here for my business i actually do quite a bit of recruiting and that sort of thing and it's like we're trying we're trying to select who we want our, on our staff by purely looking at resumes and never yeah. actually interviewing teams <laughs> yeah. exactly exactly <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if anybody from the NCAA is listening, I would quit my job tomorrow if they would pay me full time to to be on the committee. So. Second, <laughs> third. <laughs> uh, but let's talk a little bit about the the Big Twelve as a whole, Chris. I think you still got eight teams in there. Yeah, Texas and TCU barely getting in. Uh, you know, it is the, the RPI number one conference. You know, how, how good are the chances of, of all eight teams getting in right now? What do, what did Texas and TCU need to do, I guess, to, to shore that up? Honestly, I'm going to say that Texas probably has a better shot than TCU at this point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were kind of talking about these teams that have 14 and 15 losses. And we've had, you know, this is this will probably be the third year in a row that we've had a fifth. We will have a 15 loss at large team at least, if not multiple 15 loss at large teams. And previously that had been from the SEC. And you know, you go back and you look at where Vanderbilt and Alabama were received the last two years as 15 loss teams, and they were both well outside of that Dayton range. They were on the nine line. And what again it comes down to is the committee valuing those quality wins more than you know those bad losses. And Texas has, I think, more than enough quality wins. You know, North Carolina in neutral floor, Purdue at home, you know, Iowa State at home, you know, Kansas at home, Kansas State on the road. That's more than enough to get them in. It's kind of like Indiana with all those top 25 wins they have. Yeah, they haven't 
finish particularly well, but the committee loves those quality wins. And I think that Texas and, and probably Indiana, as long as they don't, you know, lose 16 games, so their margin for error is a little, you know, is also pretty, you know, pretty narrow at this point. I think they're going to end up in the field, and they're going to end up in the field pretty comfortably. Mm-hmm. And so TCU actually plays at Texas in a pretty bubbly game on Saturday. If TCU loses that, um, and I know this is relative and depends on bid stealers and some of that, but if TCU loses that, do they probably need to beat Kansas State in the quarterfinals? To yeah, 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 they probably do because their issue is it's kind of like Clemson, you know, a team on the outside looking in, you know, at this point. When you take a look at what they have in terms of quadrant one and quadrant two wins, you know, TCU's right now is seven and twelve against quadrant one and quadrant two combined. They have those two wins over Iowa State. And Clemson has a very similar profile, except they have just one win over Virginia Tech at home. So they don't even have that at this point. And, and I think that, you know, that compared to com- some of the other teams that are kind of out there is really going to end up hurting TCU, especially, you know, Florida was a was a third top 30 win for them. And, you know, Florida, you know, fell out of the top 30 by losing to Georgia. They're probably going to tumble a little bit more after losing to LSU tonight. So that's another one that that's kind of on the borderline for them. But but TCU really is going to have to get another quality win or two just to feel safe because their record against the top two groups is not very good. Yeah. And another two and seven and uh, two and seven in true road games. Another mark against them. And talking about TCU for a second, you know, or frankly any of these teams that are that are right there, you know, right on the bubble. When you're pulling together your seeds and your evaluation uh, of these teams, are how much of it is purely where they're at today? And do you ever find yourself kind of building in a little bit of bias or extrapolation of what you expect to happen with these teams over these last couple of games of the season? Well, this is one of those things that kind of changes as the season goes on. I mean, you know, you go back three weeks and we still have, you know, six or seven games left. You know, I'm really kind of stuck on kind of where teams are right now. But now that we've got, you know, one or two regular season games left at the most and then the conference tournament game, you know, then I start to get a little bit more, you know, we have a better idea of where these teams are, you know, how they're probably going to finish. We have, you know, a good picture of kind of how these last matchups are going to go a lot of times, especially in conference in the Big 12 where they're all rematched at this point. So, yeah, it's a little bit, there is a little bit more actual projection of going to the end of the year now that we're closer to it than there was, you know, say three weeks or a month ago. Sure. And the reason I ask is just talking about, you know, like I said, TCU, like we, we just talked about, you, at this point in the season, I think you kind of have to say that you're, you have to assume that TCU is going to lose their next two games. Yeah. And, and you know, we're, and, and, you know, just talking about, are they still on the bubble at that point or are they pretty much done if they lose their next two? Yeah, I think if they lose their next two, they're pretty much finished. I think so, because especially when you think about the other teams that are out there and going to have opportunities, I don't think they're going to be able to compete with them. Yeah. And then I guess that other team down there is Oklahoma, and they won last night. They'd still only be 7-11 if they lose to K-State, but the, the computer numbers seem to like them a lot. Are they pretty safe right now? Or? I think they're a little bit safer just because, and they're really being helped by the best non-conference was against Wofford, who's you know, top 15 yeah. in the net right now. Mm-hmm. So that's really giving them another, a nice boost. And they only have one bad loss that, you know, losing West Virginia, that's pretty much it. And, and I think that that's really going to kind of do it for them. The strength of schedule is good. Their true road record, they're five and six in true road games, which is a heck of a lot better than what TCU is. So, uh, you know, seven 11, the big 12 is not going to be great, but 
I think they're going to end up being okay. Yeah. Talk about another Big 12 team that we haven't touched on yet, uh, at least not other than just naming them as Iowa State. Um, yeah. What's your opinion on Iowa State right now? Because they are they're taking on water pretty quick. Yeah, this is a, this is a team that you know looked like a solid you know four seed not too long ago, and now they're kind of playing their way into almost an eight nine game. I've actually had them a little bit lower than a lot of other people just because they haven't been playing all that well. And, and again, projecting out to kind of how the season ends, you know, you think about they play at they they get Texas Tech, you know, in Ames. They've lost two games in Ames this year at Hilton, which, you know, was kind of unbelievable for them in Big 12 play. Lost three games, K-State, TCU, and Baylor. So that's really uncharacteristic of them, and Texas Tech is perfectly capable of making it number four on Saturday. So this is another squad, I think, that could end up being in that 8-9 range just because they've won one game in their last, two games in their last set. That's not really, you know, a way to be setting yourself up for success when you have so many other teams kind of in that five or six range that are playing a lot better, like Kansas State, you know, like Villanova in particular. And I completely see that you see that, and and that's one of the reasons why we actually appreciate appreciate talking to you is you actually pay attention to these kind of things. Yeah. You know, what – what in your mind is uh, it, it would be keeping an, a team like Iowa State is seated as high as they are in some other uh, in some other bracket projections? Yeah, the fact that they won, you know, beat Kansas at home, won at Texas Tech. I think really people are kind of really and won at Kansas State. They're thinking about kind of those wins and not kind of looking at the bigger picture of how they're actually playing later. And again, this goes back to the whole the committee not really wanting us to focus on how teams are are closing out. Okay. But this is a team that's going to probably end up having is going to probably have 12 losses. And to me, that's not a team that really deserves to be on seed line six. And I mean, the injury thing against me, if Shayok is not back, like yeah. that, that should drop yeah. one or two and seeds by itself. He, you know, he is a, a major, major, he's their number one player on Ken Pop. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. that is a big, big, big blow if he's not back. And then I guess that just leaves, you know, the thing we haven't talked about is Baylor. And the weirdest thing about Baylor is uh, they shot, I think they were shooting about 29% from three in non-conference, where they were like one of the worst power seven teams in the country. And now yeah. they're shooting 39% from three in Big 12 play, which just makes no sense at all. But, you know, as a result of that, they had some really bad losses in the non-con and obviously they picked it up and... I don't know. It's still, to me, it feels like their success is sort of a mirage, but I don't know. Where, where do you put them in right now? You know, they're another one of those teams that's kind of in that, you know, 8-9 range right now, you know, along with Oklahoma and then probably with Iowa State and all said and done. And really the thing, it's, it's those losses. The Texas Southern and the Stephen F. Austin games at home, you know, four points, you know, mm-hmm. right there. That's really kind of keeping them from being kind of in that 5 or 6 range because that's where they end up being. If they'd actually, you know, had better three-point shooting in those games, okay. you know, and, and and wouldn't have lost them, they would be, you know, twenty-one and eight right now, and that's definitely kind of in that five or six range. So this is a team that has done very well to get where it is, but you know, shudder to think about where they actually could have been if they had, you know, started off a little bit better. Yeah. Well, Eric, I guess um, to kind of circle back around and wrap this thing up, you know, you always say. You want to be peaking when the tournament comes around. It, it feels like K-State might be getting there. Obviously, if Cartier Giada would come back, that would be very helpful. But, you know, other than that, you feel like K-State is about where they want to be at this, at this point in time? 
I think if Jada could come back and actually, you know, be in be in some game shape, I don't know with his hand injury how much uh, I would think that he'd be able to still be doing some conditioning and that sort of thing. But obviously, when he comes back, he's going to be rusty, especially with a hand injury like that. But if he can just give us some depth from that perspective, uh, I think that'll certainly be helpful. One of the things that's kind of concerning me right now is just the scoring funk that uh, Barry Brown's been in mm-hmm. the last couple games. I think that Dean's uh, showing up. I think that uh, Cam has had a string of really good games here. But I think uh, in order for me to to really say that we're going to be peaking, I think Barry needs to start finding the bottom of the net with some with some shots again here pretty soon. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But, you know, that we're a team built on defense. Everybody knows that. And, you know, the, there's, the, there's the old adage about defense wins championships. And whether you, th- you, you firmly believe that or not is, is up for debate. But one thing it does do is that it gives you the opportunity to stay in games. So I, I wouldn't count us out of anything at this point. Yeah. What do you think, Chris? Does defense win championships? especially in the tournament and especially when you run, you know, kind of a very interesting kind of unique system you don't have a lot of time to prepare for. And when you have that quick Thursday, Saturday, Friday, Sunday turnaround. Yeah. I, I, if you have a unique enough defense, it it can really take you places in the NCAA just because of that, just because of the lack of preparation time. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny that you bring up the turnaround time too, is uh, one of the things that we were talking about during the K-State game on Monday is that was our third straight big Monday game. Mm-hmm. So we've had we've had three straight weeks leading into the end of the season here where we've had that sat Saturday Monday turnaround time and seems to be working it, it, you know seems to be at least getting our uh, our players used to that uh, that quick turnaround. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were fairly. I mean, other than the trip to Lawrence, seemed to go pretty well. Yeah. So. Well, you know, most people's trips to Lawrence don't go very yeah, well. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, Chris, before we let you go, I, I do want to. Kind of go a little bit off topic, just because I think it's such a funny story, especially after Cal beat Washington. What needs to happen for the Pac-12 to be a one-bid league? Because I really want this to happen. I do well, too. <laughs> I think the, the best way for this to happen is going to have to come through Arizona State. I think that Washington winning the Pac-12, if they win the Pac-12 tournament, you know, that's fine. I think if they lose, they're going to be okay, mm-hmm. you know, even with that loss to Cal. Arizona State is, is, to me, the kind of the tricky team. They have one conference game left, and that's against Arizona on the road. You know, not really a, a, a lot of success for for Bobby Hurley against Arizona so far. So that's one they have to lose, you know, to Arizona. And then they have to get knocked out of the Pac-12 tournament pretty early. And that, to me, I think is really the only way that it's going to happen, unless Washington happens to have to play. Well, they're not going to play Cal as the one seed. Um <laughs> Unless something really strange happens, you have to play Cal again. That would probably, you know, that would be in the semifinal at that point. That would probably be the only, you know, other way for that to happen. But yeah, I think it's going to have to be via Arizona State falling apart more so than Washington at this point. Okay. Okay. Well, here's hoping. Uh, cool. Yeah. One one more question before we uh, before we get out of here. Um, you know, just uh, generally, who do you think is going to be uh, your your pick for the most criminally overseeded and criminally underseeded team this year? I, I think Houston, because I'm not really sure what Houston is. I think Houston's probably going to end up being, you know, as a, as a three, I think that's going to be too high for them. They probably should be more like a five, just because the Americans are not very good. They did a good job of trying to get good non-conference games, but most of it didn't work out. The, the best team they lost to was LSU, and, you know, that's a you know a game they wish they, you know, or actually they beat LSU. So, you know, that's that's one game to kind of, you know, kind of think about, you know, 
LSU and Utah State. I mean, is that really what you're kind of basing your non-conference on? So it's like, uh, <laughs> that's one team I kind of I would keep an eye on. In terms of being underseeded, hmm, that that's a little bit trickier just because when you kind of get the line eight down, <laughs> it's such a mess and all those teams just kind of seem the same. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say that in terms of being underseeded, I would say I think Villanova potentially could be there. They could probably be a, a couple lines higher than they're going to end up being. Okay. All right. You missed your chance to say K-State. Yeah. <laughs> that, not, well, that's another potentially good option. But like I said, I think that they're going to end up better than a lot of other people do. All right. Well, we, All hope, right. we hope you're right. So, Chris, we, you know, we can check out uh, your stuff on blogging the bracket i know we actually have your your championship week schedule post pinned to our front page right now it's very useful yeah, i need um, to hop in there and do some updates <laughs> <laughs> yeah northeast but, conference tonight yeah but what's your what's your updating schedule look like as far as bracketology and seed lines and everything you do the seed lines well, every day now right well, yeah, oh, there might not be one tomorrow because tomorrow, tomorrow morning's looking kind of rough. So it might not okay. be one tomorrow, but when we get into Friday, we're going to start pretty much going every day mm -hmm. um, over at SB Nation. I'll be doing, and, and on the weekends in particular, and then as we get into conference tournament play, really starting on Wednesday, we'll have more frequent updates over there all the way through Selection Sunday. Okay. And then we can follow you on Twitter, just at Chris Dobertine. You want to spell your last name for the good people out there? D-O-B-B-E-R-T-E-A-N. Okay. All right. But if you go to blocking the bracket, it's it's there. You don't have to worry about, you know, spelling my long <laughs> There there you kids. I, there you go, kids. Go to this last name. So yep. you know. There you, go. <laughs> there you go, kids. Go to go to blogging the bracket. Yeah, really just make it your homepage for the next two weeks. You know? Pretty much. <laughs> And then, of course, you know, tweeting will be, you know, questionable depending on how much I have to get done in terms of writing. So, uh -huh. but uh -huh. the newest info will definitely be out on Twitter as soon as it's published. So, yeah, yeah, definitely want to follow just for that alone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we always appreciate it, Chris. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Eric. Yep, not a problem. Thank you. Have a good one. So, you yeah. too. I know. I know.